You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe who helps people who feel far from God to know Jesus, cultivate freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. We're also a diverse tribe who welcomes everyone from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every age, race, and walk of life. So whether you're a longtime Christ follower or a spiritual investigator, we hope you're encouraged through our content. Enjoy today's teaching. What is it that you're hoping to experience today? What is it that you came here or logged in to, uh, to the stream? What is it that you want? And if you'll hang with me through the whole of the teaching, you may get a sense of what's really in your heart, what you're really after, what you really want, and then what you can receive today in and through worship. Now, as we um, think about worship, we're going to be thinking about, uh, we've been in the series that we've been thinking about, the seven key areas in which God really smiles upon our church and really blesses our church when we get seven things right. And we've talked about sharing Christ. We've talked about serving those who are under-resourced. And today, we're going to look at how God smiles upon our church when we lean into prayer and worship. Those of you that have been around here for a while perhaps know that we carve out time in our services to come and kneel and pray at the front a lot of times. We spend 21 days in January where we focus in on 21 days of praying and fasting along with that. On Tuesdays, we have something called Noonday Prayer. So every Tuesday, you can log in from the office and you can uh, engage in prayer and worship with us. We'll even pray for your requests there. You can show up here or do it online, whichever way you would wish. And as we think about worship today, I've found that people come to worship services in one of four categories. Related to that movie, I'll illustrate this with the movie, The Wizard of Oz. Anybody seen The Wizard of Oz? Okay. When I was a little kid, I saw it for the first time, like when those flying monkeys came out, scared me to death. I had to get under the blanket. Okay. Uh, that's The Wizard of Oz. But some people are come to a worship encounter kind of like the scarecrow. Remember the scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz? And he would say, hey, if I only had a brain. And so the scarecrow represents the person that really just wants to feel something in worship, no matter whether or not it's true, no matter whether they've thought through it or not, the scarecrow just wants to, to feel something, you know? And um, some people are very much feelers, and the, the question, I guess, for the scarecrow is, did I get the feels? Anybody know someone like that? Maybe you are someone like that? And then the next character is the Tin Man. And remember, the Tin Man slogan was, if I only had a brain. Um, and uh, he said, or rather, if I only had a heart. Uh, and remember, he's the one that it's just an intellectual exercise in, in worship, isn't it? He's, he's not really passionate about worship or passionate about anything. Didn't feel anything, but just it's all just like academic, if you follow me. It doesn't like make its way into his, his heart. And so really the tin man comes to worship just like someone watches a TED talk, you know, did it scratch my intellectual itch? But then the third character is a character I can really get on board with. This is Dorothy. And the reason I can get on board with Dorothy is because she just wants a great pair of shoes, you know? And uh, I think that I love, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm a pretty simple guy, but I do like a nice pair of shoes. But Dorothy represents what we would call the consumer Christian, if you know what I mean. So Dorothy's love those attractional churches that are just a big show and nobody's ever called into deep discipleship. 
And the primary question for worshiping Dorothy's is, did God give me what I want? You know, uh, Dorothy's just want to go and get a financial blessing or get some kind of blessing in their lives. Um, they're asking, God, did you give me through the worship encounter what I want? But then the last character we're going to look at is the cowardly lion. And the cowardly lion comes into a worship experience with no courage. The cowardly lion doesn't have the courage to question his own religious traditions. This is the person that comes into a worship experience and says, did it follow the liturgy? Did it follow the plan? You know, this is the person that says, did in the worship encounter, did God stay under control? You follow me on that? So look, um, each of these ways of thinking does have an element of truth, doesn't it? Because we know God does want us to worship him with passion and emotion as well as with our brains and thinking. And we know that uh, God does oftentimes bless us and does answer our prayers and give us the stuff that our hearts desire. Sometimes he does. And we also know that God's a God of order. However, we're going to see a holistic approach to worship in the Bible character that we're going to study today. And as we look at this character, it's the first person that Jesus would reveal himself as Messiah. Who would it be? Would it be like a politician who's important, who can act policies? No, it wasn't a politician. Would it be a religious leader that he would reveal it to who could, you know, in the religious environment and context, uh, you know, show that he's Messiah? No, he didn't reveal it to a religious leader, but it's someone who's a lot, whole lot more like you and I. And as we look at that story today, um, I'm going to show you a painting, an artist's rendering of this character. She is the Samaritan woman at the well. And let me give you a little bit of context to the story before we read it together. You understand that Jesus goes up to this well. It's the well of Samaria, Jacob's well in Samaria. And he wants to get a drink there. And the woman is there. When she, when she approaches, um, he talks to her. Which is kind of a weird thing because in that day, as some of you know, man, Jewish men mix with Samaritan women about as well as Will Smith mixes with Chris Rock. I mean, they, that's the, they did not talk, okay? So with that in mind, let's stand together and let's read this story from the very words of God. I'm going to be reading John chapter 4, verse 10 through 24, and then I'll skip down to verse 39. It says, Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift... God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. Anyone who drinks this water in the well will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I don't have to come here to get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here on Mount Gerizim? 
Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And the Father is looking for those who will worship him in that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And then I'm going to skip down to verse 39 where the scriptures say, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. So before you sit down, let me just explain to you that this non-Jewish woman had a certain program in her head about how God is supposed to work and how worship is supposed to work. She had a program in her head. But what she learned that day is that we want to seek his presence over a program. So what I'd like you to do now is turn to someone next to you and tell them, Seek his presence over a program, and then you can sit down. So as you're being seated, I'll let you know that this story actually has four characteristics of what happens or what it's like when you break through into his presence or when he sovereignly and graciously allows you to have an encounter of him in his presence. And the first idea is simply this, is that the presence is living water. He says, I'll give you living water. So living water is a metaphor for the presence of Jesus in a place. Now to the ancient people, living water meant that it was moving Water. You follow me? In the Bible, you'll sometimes read places where there's still water. So there's still water, and then there's living water that is moving. And Jeannie and I love going to the crystal clear rivers out in the hill country, and we snorkel around and look at the little fish and all of that. And it's kind of healing, you know, the oppressive South Texas heat. It's beautiful to get into the water and cool off. It's refreshing. You can get into the flow of the river, and the flow and current of that river will take you further than what you thought you could have gone. And that's the same way it is walking in, living in the living water. The Holy Spirit of God is Holy Spirit will take you further than you could go on your own see and he's wild and flowing you can't control the river can you all you can do is just get into the flow of the river has anybody been on that tube chute in new Braunfels? show me your you know the tube chute in coma you know the one where you lost your sunglasses or where you tumped over and you almost drowned someone had to pull you out that that one the one where you saw someone's cooler tump over and their drinks went everywhere and everybody's like ah free beer you know so, uh, that's the way it works at that tube chute is the way it works well uh, if you notice if you look like in the picture we've got on screen the water in the tube chute is a different color than the green-blue water of the river, isn't it? And that's like the Holy Spirit. It's a rushing, living water. It's kind of like whitewater rafting tube chute kind of water, very wild and out of control. Now, what you can do is, if you wanted to, you could take a glass and you could scoop up some of that wild white water, but once you scoop it up in a glass, is it white water anymore? 
No, it's not wrong to scoop it up. If you're thirsty, you can scoop it up. It's still refreshing. You can get a great drink. But what you have to understand about the Holy Spirit is when the Holy Spirit is flowing, he's wild and uncontrollable. And we have these glasses that we love to put Holy Spirit in, don't we? Um, so maybe your glass is kind of like your worship preference, like you're a scarecrow worshiper. Maybe you're a Dorothy worshiper, cowardly lamb, wh whichever one of those characters from the Wizard of Oz. Maybe your glass that you try and scoop up the Holy Spirit with is your religious tradition background. Like maybe you're like, oh, it's the Catholic mass glass. Or maybe for some people, it's the Pentecostal charismatic glass or the Baptist glass. Or maybe it's like the seeker-friendly church glass or the, you know, prayer room, I hop up a room glass. There are all kinds of glasses, right? But what you have to understand is that he doesn't stay in your glass. And I've seen people in different church movements who think that Holy Spirit oh, is really flowing in our glass. And then he surprises you and he moves in among the Methodists at Asbury. Nobody had the Methodists on their radar. The only thing anybody thought about the Methodists is how many members they're losing. And then all of a sudden, Holy Spirit decides to flow there. So let's humble ourselves and say, you know what? We can learn from the different glasses within Christendom. And we don't get to keep him in our little glass he overflows out of our glass. Look, the glass is a program, and we want presence over program, right? That's what we want. Now, some of you are saying, Doug, you're talking about how the Spirit of God moves like in a church service, but what about in my everyday life? Well, that's really what's more important, and here's what happens is that when you receive Christ, you believe in Jesus and you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you can get what's called the filling of the Holy Spirit. And what happens is when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, it's like the spring flows out of you. And you know what that means. Everywhere you go, he can flow. You follow me? Everywhere you go, he can flow. Well, you, that's worth telling your neighbor, isn't it? Turn to someone next to you and give them a big smile and look at them, point them, and say, everywhere you go, he can flow, right? And the reason I tell you that is because perhaps there's someone in this room on this stream that you know that does what we call compartmentalizes. You know what I mean by that? They say, well, I only experience God at the cameo or at the church, or I only experience God at mass or the prayer room or wherever, right? In whichever glass they're in. But the reality of what God does is that when he comes into your life, the, the, the river starts flowing out of you everywhere you go, your school, your home, in your community, in the warehouse, the military base, everywhere you go, he can flow in and through you out in the wild, out there. See where a river runs through it. Now, look at number two. His presence is prophetic power. Remember in the story, Jesus told this woman stuff he shouldn't have known. And what did she say? Sir, you must be a prophet. And you know, he's still doing that stuff. Uh, there have been times where it doesn't happen to me very often. 
But there have been times where I've known things that I shouldn't have known. In fact, I was, I used to work in uh, the marketplace and I was with a group of work colleagues in Atlanta in a downtown hotel. We were at the hotel restaurant that night. We were just kind of talking after a conference we'd gone to in Atlanta and we were, they all knew that I was a Christ follower and I was talking about God to the people from work. And then the lady across from me, who was real sharp, corporate lady, she says, well, I don't believe in God. And then she was real polite about it. She wasn't like being combative or anything like that. Super cool person. And she was quoting from a book by a popular atheist that she had read. And she was explaining that is why she no longer believes in God. And I don't know why in that moment, but it was the flow of the spirit out in the wild out there in a hotel restaurant in Atlanta where I knew something about her that I shouldn't have known. And I looked into her eyes and I said, the reason you don't believe is not because of that atheist book, but the reason you don't believe is because someone who represented God to you hurt you. And this very tough, all business, well-educated, high-income earning, tough corporate woman had a tear roll right down her cheek revealing the truth that I did know something about her that I shouldn't have known. Now, there have been times where the shoe's been on the other foot and people have known something about me that they shouldn't have known, you know? I remember one time I was in California at a church conference and a young man approached me and he said, he asked for my name and I told him my name and he said, Doug, you know, I have the sense that there's a religious leader in your past. You have a sensitive heart and there's a religious leader in your past who's hurt you and you're going to receive a spiritual promotion when forgiveness comes and forgiveness is going to come in your heart. And I knew exactly who he was talking about. I knew exactly what he was talking about. And he went into a bit more detail that I won't take time to go into today. And so I got on my phone and I text messaged that former leader in my life and told him whatever's happened in the past is in the past. I forgave him and honored him and immediately like the weight of that, the, the, the hurt in my heart lifted from me because another young man knew something about me that he shouldn't have known. That's why we've empowered our prayer leaders today later on when we have prayer at the front later on in the service. If you want to come they're totally empowered. They're not trying to like manufacture something or make something up. But if something comes to them that they believe is from the Holy Spirit of God, they may speak it into your ears because oftentimes God will show you things that you didn't know that he knew and he'll show you. And now let's, let's look at number three. His presence is not confined to a place. Now, a lot of you already know that. But it's an issue in this passage. And so I thought we'd bring it up. And remember this Samaritan woman said, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only what? Place to worship. And that, that issue of place is certainly in the consciousness of a lot of people. That's why Muslim people go on a pilgrimage to where? Mecca. And then a lot of Christian people and Jewish people feel like they have to go to Jerusalem to the Western Wall. In fact, I've been there and I remember going there and seeing like in the cracks between the bricks, 
people would write their little prayers on a little piece of paper and they'd roll it up and stick it there between the bricks because they believe that there's something mystical, magical about that place that'll get their prayer answered more. And I encountered the Lord there, of course, but I was really more impressed by the historic significance of the place. But I experienced God just the same in my own private office in my prayer room when I get with the Lord there in prayer. And you know, all kinds of people will tell you all kinds of things about all kinds of places that you have to be to encounter him. You know, some people will say, well, you, you only will experience him if you go to the Jerusalem Western Wall, or you have to go to that Asbury place. And I went there too, and man, it was great. Drinking from the well, it was wonderful. But I experienced him here too, not just at the Asbury outpouring. And some people would say, well, you have to go to one of those prayer rooms, you know? Like maybe, has anybody heard of like Upper Room or IHOP in Kansas City? And they say, you have to go to one of those places or you have to go to Bethel or you have to go to a Baptist church or, you know, the, the Reform place or whatever. There are all kinds of places. Some of you, your grandma says, you have to go to Mass, mijo. And she, you know what else she says after church on Sundays? You're y'all sitting around. And she says, uh, did you go to real church Sunday today? Or did you go, you know, if you come here, you didn't really go to real church. You had to go to mass to go to real church in her mind, right? Anybody have that one? But what Jesus is showing us here, it's, it's no longer geography, but it's spirit-filled theology of a person. See, it's no longer the place. And a lot of people think he only moves in their place, but he moves way outside their place. He's a river that cannot be controlled. And so the place is not what it's about. A place is a program. And remember, we're about his presence over what program. It's all about his presence. So that's what we're going to look at in number four. His presence is spirit and truth. Remember, Jesus says we want to worship him in spirit and in truth. Now, what does he mean by spirit and what does he mean by truth? Because is, is it spirit like cheerleaders in high school have school spirit? Is it like that, like passion? Well, yeah and no. And by truth, does it mean just getting right theological principles? Well, yes and no. It's more than that. The way we learn about that is you let scripture interpret scripture. And so this scripture gets interpreted by other scriptures. And so spirit here, according to John 7, 37, is not just passion, but it's also the Holy Spirit of God. You know that God is three and one, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to dwell in us and overflow out of us. And so it's not just limited to a passion, but it's a person. And then when it, when it says spirit, passion, and a person, truth, the truth is not just true principles, but it's also a person. Again, if you let scripture interpret scripture in the book of John, truth is Jesus. You learn that in John 14, 6. And so uh, when you worship in spirit and truth, you're worshiping a person, Jesus, filled with another person, the Holy Spirit. But theology is important. And here's why. Because you want to make sure you're worshiping the right Jesus. Because there are a lot of Jesuses floating around there, aren't there? So 
well, you want to make sure you're worshiping the right Jesus. Remember what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman? He said, salvation is from the Jews. It comes from the Jewish scriptures. And so when you, is your Jesus the right Jesus? So it's not, you know, the right Jesus is not the Spurs Jesus. It's not the woke Jesus. It's not the American nationalist Jesus. It's not that Jesus is my homeboy Jesus, but it is the Jesus that reveals himself in the inspired word of God, the scriptures. And look, some people in the new covenant era that we're in right now in the new Testament age would denigrate the old Testament and make it lesser than, but you cannot understand the new without the old. You got to have both the spirit and truth. And look, don't recreate Jesus like a lot of people are doing today. People want to go to the cafeteria of Jesus and pick the part of Jesus that they want. But if you only pick the part of Jesus that you want, you're not worshiping the real Jesus. You're worshiping an idol that you have made in your own image. I'm going to repeat that. If you are worshiping a Jesus that is not the Jesus of Scripture, you're worshiping an idol that you've created in your own image. And idolatry is alive and well today, even though people don't worship little statues very often. And this is why the popularity of that book by Timothy Keller entitled Counterfeit Gods. And in this book, he defines an idol is something that has ultimate meaning in your life. And so even though people tend to not worship statues, I mean, I'm sure there's some people that do, but most of us do not. Anything in your life, even a good thing that is not Jesus, but has ultimate meaning in your life, it is an idol. Can I break it down some more and give you some examples of it? For some people, their money is their ultimate source of meaning. That makes their money an idol. For other people, it's like their family. Family is a good thing. Your kids are a good thing. Your parents are a good thing. But if they're your ultimate source of meaning above Jesus, they become an idol. For other people, their politics are their ultimate source of meaning. It's their idol. For others, it's their career. Their reputation is their ultimate source of meaning. It becomes an idol. For some people, it's their sex life or sexual identity is their ultimate source of meaning in life, and it becomes an idol. Hobbies, social justice causes, the company you created, anything that becomes your ultimate source of meaning and identity apart from Christ is an idol. And look at what Keller says in the book. When you lose the ultimate source of your meaning or hope, there is no alternative sources to turn to. It breaks your spirit. And he goes on to explain in the book that that's why during the 2008 financial crisis that the formerly wealthy chief financial officer of the Freddie Mac home mortgage company hung himself in his basement because his idol collapsed on him, see, which was money and the power that he had there. And a lot of people today are emotionally collapsing. Have you noticed it? Like we, we have like an emotional health crisis. And one of the reasons for that is because people's idols are collapsing on them. And it plunges them into despair. And look, when you've lost something that's normal to hurt, 
And last week, we studied about how God deals with you if you're hurting, if you're what we call a bruised reed or a flickering candle, right? And he's very gentle with you. And so don't feel bad for mourning or hurting over people you've lost or things you've lost. Jesus is so gentle and loving with you. But today is about us getting our focus on where it needs to be. Because look, all of us are going to be tested on this. Because some of us would sit here today and we'd say, hey, you know, my family's not my idol or these friends of mine are not my idol or this company is not my idol. But we'll be tested because everything we have, we will lose. Every person we have, we will lose. Have you ever talked to an older person who's outlived all their friends and all their family members? And they feel hurt from that and they miss those friends. But they know that those, those friends and those other family members would have never left them and just bailed out on them to die. But they know what we know is that those friends don't have power over death. And we don't get to choose when we exit this life and plunge into eternity. But there is one who has power over death. And he will never leave you or forsake you when others against their own will, perhaps pass on and pass away. And the pleasure of his presence of the presence of Jesus is better than any thrill you can encounter on this earth. Look, his presence is better than any skydiving, bungee jumping, roller coaster, thrill ride that you can ever have. His presence is more fulfilling than meeting all the goals that you have for your life. His presence is more satisfying than that robust morning cup of coffee or the best meal that you could ever enjoy. His love far exceeds and is more pleasurable than the love of any other human being. He's ultimately more satisfying than the temporary trials of this life. Look, when we've been in his kingdom in heaven for 72 trillion years, we'll look back on the troubles of this life like a drop in the bucket compared to all eternity that we get to enjoy in the peace of his presence. Can I tell you something? If you right now, just for an instant, like this long, could see his face, it would transfer. Just the instant of seeing a glimpse of the face of Jesus. He would be more beautiful than what you imagined. He wouldn't look like any of the artist or actor renditions of who he is, but he would be far more beautiful, not in like a Hollywood hunt beautiful kind of way, but it would exude from his heart, his holiness, his purity. And as he gazed back at you with a loving grin, he would know you better than anyone knows you. And if you've met Jesus before and believed in him, you would know him, even though you've never seen his face on this earth, you would know exactly who you're looking at. Look, if you saw just a glimpse of him for a moment and you were driving in your car, you'd eventually have to pull over. It would be too intense for you to be able to keep driving because you would be heaving, you would be sobbing, and the tears would come such that you couldn't see to drive. 
it would be so intense. And you would thank him that it's only for just a brief split second that you saw his face because it would incapacitate you if it was longer because the presence of his love, power, and purity is so intense that you, your physical body couldn't handle it. That's his presence. His presence is not sitting in church and, you know, checking off your boxes. I was there. It's like, no, it was, was he here? When you get into his presence, nothing else matters. It's worth our passion, our love, our resources, our time. That's his presence. So can we go back to the Samaritan woman at the well for just a minute? And what we want to do is want to show you some actor's rendition of the story that we read and studied from Scripture today. And it's from The Chosen. And this clip is going to last about seven minutes. Take a look. Would you give me a drink? Did you hear me? That's bad, huh? What? You, would you ask her to drink from me a Samaritan and a woman? I'm sorry. I should have said please. You know, it's not safe for you to be alone out here. Nor you. Why haven't you come with others? Why so late in the day? Don't women come to the wells in the, the cool of the morning? Yeah, well. None of them will be seen with me, so I have to come out new, in the heat, as you have so kindly reminded me. Why won't they be seen with you? Long story. I, I'd still like a drink of water, if you can spare it. Amazing what a parched throat will do. Aren't I unclean to you? Won't you be defiled by this vessel? Maybe some of my people say that about your women, but I don't. Yeah? And what do you say? I say if you knew who I am, you'd be asking me for a drink. Really? And I would give you living water. Would. Except that you have nothing to draw water with, and this is a deep well. Besides, what do you need from me if you have your own supply of living water? Long story. But Jewish water is better than Samaritan water. Hmm? That's not what I said. Are you a better man than our ancestor Jacob, who dug this well? Your water is better than his? I know, Jacob. And everyone who drinks this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. Wouldn't that be nice? The water I give will become in a person a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Really? Yes, really. Prove it. First, go and call your husband and come back. I will show you both. I don't have a husband. You are right. You've had five husbands. And the man you're living with now is not your husband. <laughs> oh, I see. You're a prophet. You're here to preach at me. No. Usually the one good thing about coming here alone is I can escape being condemned. I'm not here to condemn you. I've made mistakes. Too many. 
But it's men like you who have made it impossible for me to do anything about it. How? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain. But you Jews insist Jerusalem is the only place for true worship. They say that because the temple is there. Yeah. Exactly where we're not allowed. I'm here to break those barriers. And the time is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. So, where am I supposed to go when I need God? I've never received anything from God, but I couldn't thank him even if I did. Anywhere. God is spirit. And the time is coming and is now here. That it won't matter where you worship, but only that you do it in spirit and truth. Heart and mind, that, that is the kind of worshiper he's looking for. It won't matter where you're from or what you've done. Do you believe what I'm telling you? Until the Messiah comes and explains everything and sorts this mess out, including me. I don't trust in anyone. You're wrong when you say that you've never received anything from God. This Messiah you speak of, I am he. The first one was named Ramin. You were a woman of purity was excited to be married, but he wasn't a good man. He hurt you, and it made you question marriage and even the practice of your faith. Stop it. The second was Farzad. On your wedding night, his skin smelled like oranges. And to this day, every time you pass by the oranges in the market, you feel guilty for leaving him because he was the only truly godly man you've been with, but you felt unworthy. Why are you doing this? I have not revealed myself to the public as the Messiah. You are the first. It would be good if you believed me. You picked the wrong person. I came to Samaria just to meet you. <laughs> Do you think it's an accident that I'm, I'm here in the middle of the day? I am rejected by others. I know, but not by the Messiah. And you know these things because you are the Christ. I'm going to tell everyone. I was counting on it. <laughs> Spirit and truth. Spirit and truth. It won't be all about mountains or temples. Soon. Just the heart. You promise? I promise. This man told me everything I've done. Oh, he must be the Christ. <laughs> Hey, wait!
You're what here? You forgot your um.
in his presence just for a moment if you're tired and need to sit down that's okay but I don't think that Yeshua is done with us yet so gotta get you guys to do me a favor I'm gonna ask them to sing the chorus of that song Yeshua again and as the the tribe you guys are gonna be like the choir and I want to ask you to sing it out and if you're a person that's never sung before maybe this is your first time to kind of sing out loud you don't have to be too loud and draw attention to yourself if you're self-conscious of your voice but could we make that like his name our mantra today in worship and if we could do that chorus and just kind of lower the instruments so that our vocal instruments would be able to shine through and together let's worship him with our voices in that song okay so that he'll work in power in whatever area that we need him to do so today. So let's sing that together with no instrument. has power over broken relationships, brings restoration, healing, has power over guilt and shame. And Yeshua, just like you looked into the face 
of the Samaritan woman and took her from a place of shame to being spirit-filled. You're doing that same work among people today, that shame is dissolving away at the face and the power and the name as Yeshua. Yeshua, thank you. So could you guys just bring down the instruments just for a minute? Can we just sing that together as our prayer, his name? Yeshua. God's dealing with you, sit in it and soak in it for a bit. We're going to formally uh, conclude the service. But if you need to stay and worship and pray, our prayer leaders would love to pray with you if that would be helpful. And you can sit and soak in it for a bit. But whether you leave now or later, leave from here and let your heart's desire be the presence, not don't settle for a program. And some of you go from here knowing that everywhere you go, you're fixing to flow because you've been in his presence today. So whether you stay in worship or, you know, uh, carry on, man, you guys have a great Sunday. We're glad you were a part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check the City Tribe YouTube channel, iTunes, SoundCloud, Instagram, Facebook, or our website, citytribe.church. May you go from this podcast knowing that you are loved.